0: All right, welcome to this awesome episode of Xena Force Reborn. I am your host, Doug Bindo, and today we have a great episode of Xena Force Reborn. So I want to, um, you know, start from where we were the last time, which is um, primarily we were talking about the Earth Federation, and we were talking about the Earth Federation in conjunction with the fact that you know uh, we had to rebuild it from the ground up, and the reasoning to why we had to rebuild it from the ground up was because we realized that there was no way on Earth, you know, the Earth Federation actually could win as far as a faction went, you know. Now, this is really important to understand because when you go to develop something, you have to develop develop it based on, I want to say, goals that you have in mind, you know, whatever those goals are. Um, Where... You can develop a faction, and the, defac- the, the faction itself, for like an RTS, can be set up in a way where it's meant to succeed, but under certain parameters, and it's meant to fail under other parameters, meaning that if a player decides that they are going to play in contrast to your envisioned concept of what the faction is meant to be, then, you know, they should expect to lose, because that's going to be their, their weak point, where if they decide to effectively, um, play off of the, you know, given concepts that are the core fundamental building blocks of the faction, then they should stand, you know, greater than a, you know, average chance under those circumstances of winning in comparison to other factions. So what I mean by that is this, okay, let's say for example, we were talking about a faction like, um, I'm going to go with GDI, for example. Okay, and we're going to go with GDI. And let's say that the whole concept behind the faction is uh, you know, deployment where basically as you succeed in certain requirements, whether it's, you know, um, tech buildings that are produced uh or whether it's um certain time frames that are met, the GDI player gets the ability to expand you know, their, their infrastructure across the battlefield. Now in expanding their infrastructure, that's truly the stronger part of their, of their, their faction. Like in other words, it's the backbone, you know, when you start factoring in things like maybe an ion defense, you know, uh, you know, defense field, um, or if you think about like the firewall, you know, that was in traditional CNC, or if we started thinking about, you know, like other things we, that we could think about that we're not actually going to talk about here. My, my point is, is that GDI expanding their infrastructure in the way that they design, you know, their, their, their method of carrying out, you know, conflict from the ground up, their infrastructure is their, their strongest asset. Everything pivots around that. And then everything after that is effectively a secondary. Now, you talk about a faction like that. Okay, so so an, an understanding that the more structures you build, the more real estate you lay down on the battlefield means what? Well, it means that you as a faction gets, you know, much, 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 uh, m- you know, resilient. In the sense of, <clears throat> sorry, I had to look at something there. In the sense of saying, hey, the more I put down physically on the map, the more I'm able to do this, that, and the other. Now, in contrast, you take a faction like, we'll say, Nod. Okay, you talk about Nod as a faction. And with Nod, Nod is not real estate-based. Like, in other words, Nod can have, you know, a main base, maybe an outpost or two, and they can face GDI on the same level uh, playing field, as if GDI had, you know, two to three, maybe even four, full-fledged bases. And then, of course, the question always becomes, well, why is that? Well, the reason for it is in how Nod would be designed. So Nod is is a faction that is designed on the concept of dealing in tight quarters. Like, in other words, regardless of the amount of real estate that you have beyond a main base and, an, you know, in a in a, um, you know, halfway decent outpost, you don't have to worry about with Nod trying to, you know, expand into creating, you know, alternate bases that basically expand the Nod assortment from an, you know, a structural standpoint, because the player is only going to gain so much in doing so, you know, where GDI effectively doesn't have a cutoff point structurally, Nod actually does. And and that goes into the whole, you know, relevance to redundancy ratio, okay? Like, to what point with a faction are you just creating redundancy? Where, like, realistically, it doesn't matter if you have, like, three more MCVs, because in the midst of how things are all going down, you know, the the reality dictates you're not even going to lose a single MCV probably the next, you know, five to ten minutes of the you know the remaining battle. So, provided you don't go into an overtime epic gameplay, what difference does it make to have multiple MCVs on the battlefield? In other words, why are you throwing your income into that? You know, to a point where it essentially makes no sense. You know, um, where you could have taken that income, you could have diverted it over to things that made sense. Like, for example, in Nod's case, you could be talking about you know their avatar system. Or in Nod's case, you could be talking about their infield ship design. And and that's what I'm I'm saying here, which is different factions win on different plateaus. For GDI, the more MCVs they have, the better off they actually are as a faction. And the reason for it is it allows them to build throughout, you know, their given territories in the way that they want to. So let's say that they have, for example, a forward base, all right, on, on basically their frontier of the battlefield that they're on, okay, they can have an MCV there kicking out X, Y, and Z, understand that that forward base is in trouble, and then what they can do is divert back to other MCVs to start picking up, you know, the slack, if you will, and planting stuff in those areas rather than in the forward base. At the same time, they can utilize the other MCVs to actually create defenses that actually allow them to fortify their forward base. So basically, in the way that it works, is GDI can effectively create like a spear, we could say, with with the point of their MCVs, while really relaying all the infrastructure in MCVs that I want to say are two or three levels back behind the uh, the first one. You know, and, and that works well for them. But you couldn't technically do that with Nod. Nod, it wouldn't work that way. Um, it wouldn't have the same effect. You know, it's, it's not that you can't lay down, you know, defenses and MCVs like that with Nod. You, you could do that. But it wouldn't have the same effect that it would with GDI, simply because they're so heavily invested in infrastructure as an actual faction, uh, to a degree, that totally dismisses Nod. And that also plays into, the, you know, the different uh, defense types that you have as well. You know, and, and, and that's something that you do want to keep in mind is that like when you look at GDI and when you look at Nod in the comparison that I'm giving you, you know, keep in mind, Nod does it where they have to create decoy structures. So you build a structure, it costs whatever, you create a decoy structure out of it. Well, then at that point, it's lost all its productivity of any kind. It's not, it's not using any productivity. It's really just a dummy structure that's waiting for the enemy to fall into its trap And then, you know, it it springs it on them. So, again, this goes back to the whole idea that you're not going to use GDI in the same way that you're going to use Nod structurally to win an actual battle. You know, so so that's my example of what I'm I'm talking about when I say, you know, certain factions can win under certain premises where other factions would naturally lose trying to, you know, repeat that same premise. Now, in, in contrast to that, Let's look at the Earth Federation. Okay, so the Earth Federation we're obviously coming out with now. And um, the Earth Federation is, it's an amazing faction. Uh, I just got the latest build of it. The AI is fully functional, which wasn't the case the last time we talked. And by fully functional, I mean like it can whoop some ass. Like it is pretty damn awesome. All right. And with the Earth Federation and the way that they work is they are not structurally bound at all you know uh, effectively in the way that it works with the Earth Federation in our concept of gameplay is that they are a free flowing faction so what makes the Earth Federation so interesting from a gameplay perspective is the fact that the Earth Federation literally does you know free flow throughout the entire game now we do have to be careful about this in the way we allow them to free flow purely based on restrictions and stuff like that which I'll get into a little bit later but in the way that a player would use the Earth Federation to win is entirely different than how a player would use Nod or GDI to win. So with GDI, it's about your, your deployment power. It's about your manufacturing power. It's about the ability to just literally build up more and more and more. Understand we're not talking spamming here. That's not what we're talking about with GDI. What we're talking about is an, is basically a intelligent way to build a force that is so undeniably, you know, strong with the kind of tech that they use, that truly from a continental perspective, you know, they come out to be the most powerful force on the battlefield. That is GDI's main form of gameplay in the here and now, okay? Uh, I mean, we are going to go back and actually change GDI in a drastic sense than what it is now, but that's basically how GDI works, you know? GDI works off of a dual form of income, Tiberium harvesting, and then Intel gathering. And then they technically have a tri-form of income, which is their, uh, you know, tank insurance. Okay, so they have that. But the, the real thing that makes uh, GDI so amazing is the fact that you couple that with the idea that they are a faction that truly is based upon the idea of deployment, expansion, so on and so forth. So the whole point with GDI is that you expand more, you gain more territory, and then gaining more territory, you manufacture in those given areas. And you lock those areas down. To a point that you're constructing like capital ships and you're constructing your your mammoth tanks and you're constructing your predator tanks and you know, your orcas, and so on and so forth. And again, you're not doing it from a spamming perspective, which is what's beautiful about this faction and how it actually works. But it is a, you know, uh, progression of state that allows the faction to eventually overcome any force that it faces, provided it's done correctly. You know, now you do get assists with this in terms of, like, MCV drop as one of their capabilities, so on and so forth. But again, you know, this is what makes GEI just an amazing faction. Now... Again, in contrast it with the, uh, or contrasting it with the Earth Federation, the Earth Federation is actually a very different kind of faction now. Okay. The Earth Federation at one point in time actually used GDI's build system in a very similar format. And this is one of the reasons to why we had to change the Earth Federation. And it's interesting because Nod could defeat handily the Earth Federation, with their standard build format. But they couldn't defeat GDI handily with their standard build format. And the reasoning for it was GDI had the ability to effectively tech their way through. So what made GDI different from the Earth Federation is that they both did technological progressions. They both did territorial plays. But the Earth Federation was much weaker on the territorial play, and their technological progression was a passive system, where GDI's technological progressive was an active system. So this was really important to understand in terms of why GDI was able to stay in its existing format until you change it up, and why the Earth Federation basically had to go kick rocks, you know, and we had to bring it back as something new. So, one thing that I, I hadn't gotten into in the last audio that I did want to address now is why, you know, for people who have been playing this mod for a long time, they look at it and say, I don't get it. You know, the Earth Federation was the most powerful faction in the game. You guys turn around and make a few changes to Nod, you know, in, in some given respects, and voila, the Earth Federation now becomes like effectively like the weakest faction in the game. Or a faction that can't win. I, I don't understand that. When GDI basically hasn't really changed, and you know you did do some modifications from Scrin, but they couldn't have been that big of changes. And, and I do want to address that. Um, all the factions had modifications done to them. All of them did. The differences, though, in the modifications and how they affected each faction, you never actually know until you go to pl- play test it. Okay. So until you go to test the theory of what you've done, you don't know exactly what the outcome is going to be. In the case of the Earth Federation, because the Earth Federation worked off of a passive sense, in other words, it just had to wait to get there, but it was going to get there kind of deal, okay? Because of that, that is why the Earth Federation could not win. It was due to that, combined with the expansion aspect of territorial, you know, um, dominance, so, here's how it worked as an Earth Federation player. You would basically try to expand your territories, and the reason why you had to expand your territories is because you needed factories for mobile suit development and stuff like that, which makes perfect sense. There's, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. You know, but also at the same time, you needed the infrastructure in order to support the mobile suit systems, such as, for example, you needed your uh, solar plants, so you could do, um, you know, you could have power, At the same time, you could get your supply drops, you know, in that were cash drops. You also needed, of course, refineries so you could harvest income in, in terms of Tiberium, and what have you not. The bottom line to what I'm saying is, the Earth Federation had a lot of mechanisms that went on in place from a infrastructural perspective that made it as hungry as GDI. Okay, where GDI was very very different. I mean GDI. Granted, you had your Tiberium, you know, um, gathering abilities. But really with GDI, it wasn't so much about laying down tons of refineries and stuff like that as it is about building factories, building defense mechanisms to, you know, to defend those factories. Also, you know, mapping out, you know, basically your your infrastructure where you can have the proper number of airports so on and so forth, um, which take up a lot of real estate in order to work as a, is a truly well, um, you know, methodical, uh, faction, you know, that, that's, that's what you're trying to do, um, from their standpoint. So that's why they took up a lot of real estate. It was production, um, you know, output, but in in a different kind of way, you know, um, in the same way that, the 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 teching of GDI versus the Earth Federation, very, very different. Um, because you were working off of an active tech-based system, you know, uh, you had the ability to lay down, you know, tech building one, tech building two, tech building three, tech building four. And once when you start laying down these tech buildings, right, uh, what happens with GDI is it gets itself into a situation where, like, let's say, for example, you're producing mammoth tanks, all right? and you you're producing a baseline mammoth tank you know with just standard i want to say uh mammoth armor and you know it's dual you know uh dual kinetic cannon capability along with the rockets you know quadred you know unit you're producing that thing well when you go to go from a mark III, which is your baseline unit to the mark IV, which uses rail cannon ability uses you know um you know a highly more form of composite armor so on and so forth you know, you're also shifting from a price point of, you know, 3600 to about, we'll say for the sake of the conversation, you know, 5500. Or we'll do it like this. Your mammoth tank in terms of time is shifting from 36 seconds to 55 seconds. Alright, so what do you have to do as a player? Well, as a player, what you have to do is you have to lay down a second factory. If you plan to basically keep same pace with mammoth production, you know, you gotta do what? You got to lay down a second factory, and in laying down a second factory, what do you also have to do? You also have to increase your your income, you know, production, so that you're so that you're set. Now, in the way that it works with GDI, usually when you get to that point, that's not that big of a problem, simply because you're using your intel gathering abilities, if if, if you still have kept on to those, um, and in addition to that. You might have even thrown down, you know, tank insurance. So the idea that your tank gets destroyed and then you get an income back for that tank being destroyed is very important to GDI as it stands in the here and now. These kind of things are actually very, very important from a gameplay perspective. Because what it basically does is it sets the player up from an ego perspective so that they actually can produce these Mark IVs at the same rate or even at technically a slightly faster rate than what they were with the um, I want to say with the uh, the Mark threes. In addition to that, though, with GDI, if you place up the firewall, then what happens? Well, your production facilities, due to the you know consumption of having the firewall in place, then of course reduce in speed by forty percent. So now what you gotta do is you gotta have a third factory to make up for what the other two factories were doing in a way that you're still pumping out effectively or close to a reasonable rate of what you were doing before. The firewall actually went up. You know, so you may have to add another factory to two factories to make up for what the other factories were doing in sheer output. So, so you see how this actually compounds itself with GDI and you see how they become territorial hungry. But the key difference between it and the Earth Federation is this: GDI was doing tech advancements on on part of their um, on on part of their end of, of production. They were doing active tech advancements, so you are actively producing out higher end units, units that are much more powerful than their predecessors that were you know being done before. But then in addition to that, you also are changing or reestablishing your infrastructure where it becomes greater and greater and greater, meaning that it's just a more powerful infrastructure that you're actually looking at in terms of being able to withstand enemy assaults and stuff like that. So these kind of things are very, very important from a gameplay perspective, which is... When you look at the Earth Federation, you have to keep in mind that it was just when it naturally took its course, you know, and it's not necessarily a thing of, Oh, let me go just build this mobile suit right away. It's like you go out and build this mobile suit when you don't need it. And then it gets shot to shit. And then you're like, wow, that was just a whole wasted of, you know, 3000 in credit or 4,000 in credit or 5,000 in credit. And that's what makes the earth federation like very, very different is that you can't just go out and build, you know, a tank to replace another tank because it's a more powerful tank that's going to do the same thing, but just happens to have greater firepower and armor uh, to get the job done. This is, like, one of the really cool things about GDI from their perspective, I guess you could say. And this is one of the real shitty things about the Earth Federation from their perspective, I guess you could say. So, basically, you know, you had this system in play that just didn't work for the Earth Federation. And this is why it still did work for GDI. Because with GDI, what you were doing was just building bigger, greater, and badder. That's what you're doing with GDI, and that's what was important about understanding GDI. What was happening with the Earth Federation is it was just getting shittier and, shittier and shittier and shittier and shittier and shittier as other factions actually got their advancements because what they were doing was just either outtiming the Earth Federation or there were, like, pivotal points, like I said, with Nod. You know, like, with Nod gets a salamander on the scene, when they go like LVL three on that that venom, and they get that salamander on the scene, and they start producing those things, it's over. Like there's there's not enough in the Earth Federation at, at any given state within that you know period of time that can actively go after a salamander or two, or dare I say three. Where with GDI it's different. You know GDI. You know you can get your um your uh your medium range missile launchers in, into effect. You know that can hit air. Or what you can do is you can just hold off long enough to get your mammoth mark, you know, uh, your, your mammoth mark fours or your predator mark fours with their rail cannon abilities, you know, get them get them established, and and again you can sit up here and take care of the salamander from that end, you know. So Nod's abilities are very very different from GDI's abilities, and and I think that you know. um there is that contrast. But also, Nod's abilities are vastly different from the Earth Federation's abilities. And you still have that contrast. So in one contrast with GDI, it basically worked. In one contrast with, you know, uh, the Earth Federation, it just didn't work. So again, I wanted to just briefly go back and actually hit up on why is it these changes were made with, you know, Nod effectively, in a sense, and, you know, the Earth Federation was wiped out, but then you're looking at it and saying, well, how did GDI survive when their build cycles are virtually the same and their, you know, their assortments aren't that drastically different? It's, n- it's not so much that they have to be drastically different. They just have to be different enough. <laughs> you know, and different enough can make a big difference, you know, in a unit assortment. You know, and, y- and you also got to keep in mind GDI does have its saving grace, which is its Rex. You know, it does. So, um, so there we go. Okay. All right. So that's what I was wanting to talk about just, uh, you know, leading into today's episode, which took a good, like, what is it? 25 minutes. So there you go. Um, now let us sit up here and, and, and address uh, where we sit right now with the earth Federation. Okay. Where we sit with them, because I think this is very important. So, like I said, I just got the build. I played the build. uh Now, I've been playing it now for roughly about two days, and the build is amazing. It is utterly amazing. Um, basically, the faction, for the most part, operates the way we want it to, and that's really a plus from a mobile suit perspective. So, one of the problems that we had in the past was the fact that, you know, we had mobile suits, but, you know, the mobile suits were pretty much the same. They were, I mean, minus maybe a, you know, projectile difference between a beam and a rocket and a, um, you know, a kinetic round, there wasn't much difference going on there. You know, there, there just, there, there really wasn't. So what we did is we had to rethink exactly how mobile suits would be presented on the battlefield. Now, what was interesting about this was this, is that early, early on, I want to say about, or earlyish on, not not exactly early, early, early on, but earlyish on in our development, um, we were looking at, you know, coming out with, you know, a master equation, if you will, that basically anything could be fit into in terms of type of class of unit, and it could spit out to us exactly its effectiveness, um, dealing with, and also dealing, uh, cost and, um, and, um, production time. And we, and we had this. So for example, there's a difference between having a mobile suit in an equation and having a tank in an equation in the same way that there's a difference between having a fighter plane and having a, and a, uh, in this, an attack helicopter, you know, like there are differences in how it actually works, but here's the whole thing. Even when you factor in the differences in the mechanical uh aspects of those differences, what happens is if the presentation doesn't change on the battlefield, you feel like it's basically just the same old thing, it's just looking like a rectangle instead of a square. You know, and that was one of the things that was really, really interesting here, which was we were in a scenario where we were coming up with all the proper equations. We were coming up with all the proper mathematics, but we weren't able to relate it to exactly what we were wanting to do from a gameplay perspective. Like in other words, the stuff was there, but there, the presentation was actually missing. It was the, the physical presentation. So this is another reason to why we had to take a step back and walk away from the earth Federation as we knew it. And, um, that lack of presentation just didn't work for them in the way that it did for certain other factions. You know, they needed something a bit more in-depth. They needed something to show that mobile suits actually make a real difference in the way that they're used versus using a tank. You know, I mean, like, if the whole idea is you're going to have a, you know, uh, rectangle that is lying horizontally shooting at another rectangle that's standing up vertically, what real difference is there in that, you know? And that's basically the way it looked between tanks and mobile suits. Or should I say tanks and walkers? You know, this was one of the big, 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 big problems that we had. So, what we did is we basically tried to simulate to a degree what we could in the show. That's what we did. And we developed a, uh, a boost system, what we call the boost system, basically where the mobile suit, after it takes so much damage, will basically just try to get the hell on out the way and then try to reengage in battle, you know, and, and it's not a bad system at all. It actually works really well. It does. Uh, the boost system definitely puts a different twist, <coughs> sorry about that, <clears throat> definitely puts a, a different twist on the perspectives of how mobile suits work from a gameplay perspective versus how, I want to say, um, how vehicles work and stuff like that. Now, in doing that, we also had to come up with, you know, a different kind of outlook on how mobile suits would operate, you know. So, For example, the first thing that takes you uh, by surprise with the boost system is this. The boost system is a chance, okay? It works off of chance, all right? So there is a a randomization to it, okay? And what this means is is that you're not going to basically be dealing with mobile suits that have a full-fledged HP. You're not doing that. Like, you're not dealing with mobile suits that have you know, in terms of their their HP, a full-fledged HP, uh, like they normally would, that would basically allow them to stand there and shoot it out with a tank. That's not basically how this actually happens. What you do instead is you give the mobile suit a proportional aspect of its HP, and then what you do is you factor in the boost on top of that so that the boost basically resets the HP after it's been depleted, and then the mobile suit takes another try at it. Now, what's interesting about this concept is that for certain units it works really well. For other units, uh, I'd say that, you know, definitely there needs to be more, quote-unquote, you know, work done to them. Um, now, this this doesn't mean that you get a faction that is invincible you don't. I mean like you can still go through and defeat a boost-based faction. What it means is is that you have to approach the faction very differently. You know. So when we first got the boost system going, um, you know, basically it was tested out against like things like the Obsculus, like the non-Obsculus or it was tested out against, you know, just very heavy-hitting things to see if, you know, could the unit die and then, you know, or not die. But could the unit, you know, take a hit and then boost back into combat? Could, could it do that, you know? And in a sense, it is kind of like death. I guess you could sit up here and say it is kind of like death, but it's not death. Um, you know, um, if you want to think of it as a death and restart, you know, on a Zelda game, I guess you could do that. Um, or in a Mario game, I, I guess you could sit up here and think that, it, you know, it's like you're hitting a restart button after your character died just right away. You're like, okay, restart okay, restart, okay, restart, you know, you could think of it like that if you want to with the actual unit itself, although realistically it's not because, you know, at some point the randomization of the boosting doesn't work in your favor, okay, And, and there's nothing that looks worse when you're doing the boost system and your mobile suit, like, goes into battle and gets hit by, you know, like a kinetic cannon and two rockets and then, boom, it's it's dust. You know, and you just see the mobile suit get destroyed, and you're like, "Ah, oh, what the F happened? Oh, how could that happen? Where's your boost at? You shitty pilot, you should have boosted. You should have boosted. Yeah, and, and that's what it is. It is based on the pilot's intent. That's how the boost system actually works, is that, yes, it is based on the pilot's intent. You know, so the whole reason to why the Earth Federation mobile suits get a boost system is because it really does work off of the way the pilots would actually work, which makes it very, very interesting. Okay. Um and, and this was the first like after we got the the mission scripting concept down. This was the first thing that we realized we had to do to make the Earth Federation mobile suits different. Now understand something. We didn't even stick mobile suits into the game until after we completed the concept of the mission boost. And this is something that I, I, I wanna, you know, stress, is that we didn't do a mission script and then say, oh, this stuff looks great, oh, but the, 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 uh, interactions are so laxed on the Earth Federation's end, we gotta come up with something new. No, we knew after we got done with Nod, you know, that it wouldn't have changed anything on the Earth Federation's end, you know, mission script or not, if Um, we hadn't developed a brand new system. Now, in developing this brand new system, what this also allowed us to do is it allowed us to actually look at the assortment in a very, very different way. So, understand that in the last episode I talked to you guys about mission scriptings, right? I talked to you guys about the fact that, you know, we um, had these mission scripts that we did where the player was able to you know, meet an objective and get a reward, meet an objective and get a reward. That's exactly what I talked about to you guys in the last, you know, installment of, of, of this podcast. Well, once when we actually developed the boost system, we realized a, we couldn't necessarily use all the mobile suits that we wanted to use because to a degree there would be a certain level of redundancy. See, and, and this goes back to something that I had talked about before, which is what happens when you hit that level of redundancy? Okay. And, and you're not talking about relevance anymore, but you're talking about redundancy. Like in other words, why do you need to have, you know, four tier two GM class based units? Why do you need to have them? You know, what difference does that, does that do for you? You know, and you could sit up here and say, well, you could have different GM classes for every different weapon you're going to have. Like, different GMs just carry different weapons. And, yeah, that, that's, that's true. You could do that. But also, you could easily simply just allow GMs to swap out their weapon types on the battlefield so you have the ability to adapt. And then you don't got to worry about that. You know, just sitting up here and pumping out, you know, bazookas uh, versus pumping out actual GM class types. And, and that was one of the things that we had to wrestle with. Because once we figured out we had a good boost system going on, then at that point, we really did have to bunker down um, on what units we would actually have in the game. Cause that made a huge difference. Like you couldn't like use mobile suits that were so way out there on the fringe that their boosts would basically never be, you know, um, undone. You can't, you can't really do that. Um, the second thing is, is that you do want to work within a certain technological premise. Like you're using a boosting mechanism and how, in like what aspects of that do you want to be affected in the overall scheme of things? of how a boost system works, you know, so for example, different Mecha, all right, different Mecha, now I'm going to be using an anime term here, ha ha ha, no, different Mecha, and for those of you who don't know what Mecha is in anime, um, it's just like hardware, okay, um, in this case we're talking robots though, all right, so mechs, as we say in the western world, um, but we'll go with Mecha now, uh, different Mecha that you're talking about in anime, um Just perform differently, uh, based on their technological universes they come from. You know, for example, I think one of the very, very best and one of the most realistic and one of the most angelic looking, um, uh, anime universes that have ever been created is, uh, Patent Labor. You know, uh, or Pat Labor. However you say it. Anyways, uh, Patent Labor Patrol, where Basically, it's a world that's, like, our world, but they actually use giant robots. They do. Now, the robots are not, like, overly, you know, uh overly powerful or anything like that. I mean, like, you know, the, the mecha in this story, actually, they're used for construction. They're used for police policing. They're used for military conflicts, so on and so forth. So, th- there's a validity to why they exist in, in the universe. Um, and then it's always funny because, like, the... The enemies that they face, like a good nine times out of ten, patent labor. Like when you watch the movies and stuff, they don't even have robots. They don't even have mecha. It's like it's like these guys are a bunch of hackers. and Everything, you know. So like before there was the Ghost in the Shell, there was Patent Labor, which was definitely better than Ghost in the Shell by every you know stretch of the imagination. Um, or you know, you know M sixty six Black Magic. There you go. There's another one. Um, But anyways, my, my point to what I'm talking about here is when you, when you're, when you're talking about um, how this actually affects you in terms of your, your system that you're doing, okay, like in this case for the Earth Federation, it's a boost system, you know, there's a huge difference between me saying here, let me take the patent labor universe, all right, which is very down to earth, yet, advanced, okay, so you get both, all in one, versus me saying, here, let me choose, you know, um, the bubblegum crisis universe, all right, which is clearly like a couple, uh, a couple, I want to say, evolutionary steps beyond patent labor, just based on how the universe is actually set. You know, so like in Bubblegum Crisis, you have, you know, uh, you know, just incredible, um, high agile p- power armor. You know, and, and I'm talking on even more agile than like Iron Man. You know, Iron Man's, you know, uh, power armor honestly isn't his, or his suit, his, uh, you know, Iron Man suit is really not that agile at all. It's actually pretty slow by anime standards, at least it is, you know. Um, you take any one of the Nightsabers, except for probably Nina. I don't know if I do Nina. But t- anyway, take any one of the Nightsabers and they would eat Iron Man for lunch. Like, literally, it would be like a no contest, you know. Um, and then, of course, you, you look at what they fight in uh, Bubblegum Crisis, meaning the night sabers, um and in the way it works with Bubblegum Crisis. And we're talking, like, 2032 here, 2034. So you have Bubblegum Crisis and Bubblegum Crash, all right? And I would definitely say you guys should go out and actually watch those those animes. You can watch them free online. I mean they're they're all over the place. Anyways, uh just type it in. Just say, you know, watch, you know, crash Crisis, boom Crash, you know, free online, and poof you'll find it. But anyways, um the way it works is it's it's a world of, you know, sci-fi, um, you know, mecca. And in fact, it's it's really like one of your very first cyberpunks. Okay again, this is before ghost in the shell, all right, and it's better than ghost in the shell, all right, um but in the bubblegum crisis universe, you know you have these uh chicks called the night savers who are who are mercenaries i mean like, that's just what, what it comes down to be they are mercenaries, they get paid for doing good deeds or at least what we would see as good deeds uh in this world and uh you know Tokyo of course, has had its you know moment of um dilapsedation and you've got people in a scenario where they're trying to basically replace, uh, body parts, um, with cybernetics. And you've got, um, you know, corporations like Genom, for example, that create these things called boomers, which are basically cyborgs. And they create, um, you know, boomers from a a vast multitude. Uh, you have military boomers, you have, you know, you have consumer, uh, Great boomers, and you have, like, you know, corporational, um, uh, I want to say commercial boomers as well, so it's, it's a very interesting, you know, universe, uh, to, to, to look at when you look at Bubblegum Crisis, um, and I want to say they do have technically Mecca that are on the scale of patent labor, they actually do, okay, but if you were to look at the two universes, okay, Look at the two universes. Like, like, I, I'm telling you guys, go watch the Patent Labor. Alright? Beautiful stuff. Then go watch the Bubblegum Crisis. Beautiful stuff. In no way, shape, or form would you be kidding yourself that Patent Labor could never stand up to Bubblegum Crisis in a conventional sense. It just couldn't do it. You know, and the reason to why it couldn't do it is because Bubblegum Crisis is just on a completely different level than many, 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 many other anime um, that are out there because it is cyberpunk, you know, and, and being cyberpunk, that does lend you an advantage versus being a military-esque, um, or law enforcement, law enforcement-esque in, in case of patent labor, um, uh, based, uh, mecha mecha anime, you know, um, th- that, that's just the truth of it. Okay. So understand they're at liberty to do things in a cyberpunk universe. You're not going to do necessarily in a law enforcement, you know, based uh, mecha anime. That's just that's just how it works. Okay, so when you when you look at you know the, the technology used in Bubblegum Crisis versus the technology used in Patent Labor from a mecha perspective, yeah, Bubblegum Crisis is clearly superior. However, if you were talking about the villains of Patent Labor they would totally throw Bubblegum Crisis for, like, its given universe for an entire loop. Like, it, it, it wouldn't even be, it, it wouldn't even be a, a comparison at that point. Like, the villain, from a villain perspective, like, Bubblegum Crisis would definitely lose out to patent labor in the way that patent labor villains carry out their dastardly deeds, okay? But again, this goes back to exactly what we're talking about, which is if you take a Bubblegum Crisis versus a patent labor, all right, a, and a patent labor realistically, I would say, is like a Gundam universe, except it's it's scaled to a proportion of reality. Like, you can look at a patent labor, and you can believe that, that that could be made. You know, like, you can believe in what that shit is right there. You know, you look at Gundam, and you're like, eh, not so much. Not so much. Now, like, in a CNC-type universe, yeah, Gundam could exist in, in any loose form. But, um or more importantly, patent labor could. Uh, which you guys are probably wondering why didn't you guys choose patent labor? And then I'd be like, because we never thought about, thought about it up until I probably talked about it in this, you know, yeah, in this podcast episode. And we're not going to do patent labor, so don't worry. Alright, so, you know, patent labor in many regards is like Gundam. um, like your UC timeline. I would definitely, I would definitely give patent labor that. Um, but bubblegum crisis is, is, is very, 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 very different. um, you know, it, it, bubblegum crisis would be like Iron Man, you know, meets the gymnastics team. All right. Like that, that, that's, that's like the level of coordination they've got going on. All right. Those night chicks, man, have really got it going on. Um, and even the villains that they fight in terms of sheer mechanized hardware are incredibly powerful. I mean, they are out to kill. They're not out to sit up here and just, you know, rule the world or some bullshit like that. Most of them don't even have aspirations that stupid. So when you're, when, when you're talking about like, how would that affect a boost scenario? Well, it would affect it immensely. Um, because you're talking about a diff, two different types of technologies uh, for all practical purposes. And then B, what you're also talking about when we talk about it from a boost perspective is you're talking about the fact that your hard suits from Bubblegum Crisis would get the hell on out the way quicker than what your your patent labor units would. So, from the standpoint of, of armor and endurance, I would say, you know, a patent labor versus a, a night saber, I'd technically give it to a night if we're talking about just sheer uh, ceramics and stuff like that. Like, they basically their suits get upgraded and upgraded and upgraded and upgraded and upgraded and, upgraded and up- you get my point of what happens here. Okay. Um, then on top of that, they have, um, exoskeletons that can actually in, in the form of motorbikes and stuff like that, that can actually, you know, integrate with the hard suits. Okay. So you've got, you've already got like power armor on, but now you have an exoskeleton on top of power armor. You know, and again, this goes back to how powerful these guys get, okay? Um, but you can imagine how that boost system would actually work. It's like with the night sabers, even if you tried to kill the damn thing, it would simply boost back and become something stronger. And after you killed that, it would boost back and become something stronger. And after you killed that, it would boost back. And see, that's the whole thing about the night sabers and how they work from a story perspective to where that's why you could never have them in a CNC universe, because you could never beat them based on that ideology. It'd be very tough to do. Um now, granted, they are a a fixed pocket of individuals, okay? So the Night Saber's resilience would only go so far versus an entire army, okay? I want to be fair about that. But I would also be fair and say like the Ion defense cannon that GDI has the Night Sabers would be able to blast that thing in a second. It wouldn't, and like literally they do something like that in, in Bubblegum Crisis. Okay, they, they do. Like there's this guy named uh, Mason who becomes uh, a boomer himself. In fact, he's a super boomer. And his name is Lago. And Lago, as Lago, he's able to control, he, or he has what's called the OMS. And the OMS has the ability to control the ion, you know, um, defense sets uh, that are up in space. Yeah so like what i just told you about GDI and the night Sabers actually being able to destroy their sat yeah that like that would actually happen so like that that's part of the Bubblegum Crisis story where they actually do use you know an exoskeleton um integration to a hard suit and they literally use their yeah particle beam cannon and they wipe it out i mean like dude this is how it works this is why you can't fuck with anime okay this is why you never bring western shit against anime cuz those kind of things are always up their sleeve you know um but my my point to what I'm I'm trying to tell you in all of this is that from a boost perspective, you you've got to be very careful, you know. So with Gundam, what we realized is that we could only have certain mobile suits of a certain time frame where it would actually make sense, and after that, you hit a certain level of redundancy, you know. You you do, and um, I'm probably realistically going to get into that more. In the next episode, I know I keep on saying I'm going to do not, I'm going to do not, I'm going to do not. I am going to do not, by the way. But um, I, I'll get into that more in, in the next episode. But what I'm wanting to tell you now is we had to basically restrict the time frames due to the technological differences uh, that you actually had. in in the benefits that you had versus the benefits that you, you hadn't. Okay, now understand, we actually had to go through and watch Zeta Gundam. We had to watch 0083, start, um, Stardust Memories, um, 0080, War in a Pocket, uh, you know, uh, the One Year War, Mobile Suit Gundam. Um, we watched Gundam Unicorn. We watched Char's Counterattack. attack We watched Zeta Gundam, you know. Uh, we um, watched 8th MS Team. Uh, we watched Gundam Evolve. We, man, we watched a lot of stuff. Work at list I did. Okay. Um, and, and when it was all said and done, all right, when it was all said and done for the UC universe, for the universal calendar universe. And, and by the way, I did watch doubles A to Gundam two before anybody says, Oh, wait a minute, but he didn't watch that. They could have used that. Da, 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 da. No, I did watch that too. Okay. Um, you know, I watched everything there was to watch in regards to the UC universe from start to finish. Even Char's, like, the Gundam Origins, Char's Gundam Origins, or whatever BS that thing was, um, which I, like, wanted to fall asleep on because I found it so boring. You know, so boring. Um You know, I realized that it just wasn't going to happen trying to do it that way. You know, it, it wasn't. And, um, as a result, uh, what happened was we got ourselves into a situation, um, where we realized that, you know, mechanically from a boosting standpoint, you only go so far. And then after that, it comes down to what is a, a up system. So like, in other words, we wanted to have a concept of mecha evolution. We did want to still have that. Like we had with the original faction. What we realize, though, is that the concept of mecha-evolution only goes so far. Because, again, you go back to that whole horizontal rectangle shooting at a vertical rectangle, you know, and they both standing there. Now, throwing the boost into it, that kind of changes things, okay? Because now you're working off of a concept of probability, okay? Which is still fair. But in reality, for, for, for what you're saying here... If we're working off of this concept of, of probability, the thing that we have to keep in mind here is that the probability only goes so far. The technology only goes so far. At some point, you just have to walk away from the technology and say, ah, this isn't going to happen. You know, and it's not because you don't want it to happen. It's more or less the fact that it, it technologically just doesn't make sense. Like for Gundam, you know, the real cutoff point for, I think, us Safely was once when you get into the psychoframe technology as a big, big, big thing. You know, like Gund- in Gundam Thunderbolt, the psychoframe technology really makes a lot of sense um, in many respects. Which is, we we have to come out with a system that can actually defeat this mobile suit Gundam. You know, and also we have to come out with a reason to why in later on Gundam series, you have these cop-outs, like, for example, Camille B. Don and his, you know, Zeta Gundam, you know, and the fact that, you know, he's able to use a force that's so, you know, um, intangible to defeat Shiraku, you know, like, believe it or not, I think they still sit up here and try to come up with reasons to why they do half the dumb crap they do in Gundam. Uh, through later installments of it to justify it and say, see, it wasn't a crazy idea. They were doing it back here too. You just didn't know about it because it was off in some corner of the universe that, that no one ever knew about or cared about until we, you know, put this new pretty animation on its face and said, okay, we got a new story for you. But, um, when you're, when you're talking about, you know, the relevancy, you know, of what we're, we're going after here, um, the cutoff point for us effectively was, I would say double O eighty three, 83. Um, and, and the reasoning for it was that once when you get into, you know, the Zeta time frame series, you get caught up in a, in a, uh, system that makes honestly, in many respects, no sense. Um, and that was just something we didn't want to deal with. Now, I, like I said, in the next episode, I'll go deeper into it. I'm not going to go deep into it in this episode, but what I will say is this is your, your technologies also drastically change in terms of having a whole frame to a maneuverable frame. You know, in terms of having whole armor to plot armor and stuff like that. And those kind of things were just for, for what we were doing, because we, we had already balanced this stuff before. We didn't want to rebalance it with a boost system. You know, we didn't feel that it was actually necessary. And, and then as we went through and watched the series over again, like Zeta Gundam, we watched it over again looking at the mobile suits and their performance with the added technologies that they had versus like 0083 or War in a Pocket or 8th MS Team, there honestly was nothing to gain. There really wasn't. Um, And like I said, I'll I'll go into that later into the next episode, but the gains weren't there for us to sit up here and do it. So then to try to shoot all the way up to, of course, um, New Gundam or Gundam Unicorn, you know, it just didn't. It didn't make any sense. You know, so we basically took the core essentials of what we saw on Gundam and said, look, this is what we're going to do. We even went as far as looked at Gundam build fighters and Gundam build fighters try for UC. So you, you wonder, for example, where do we get the GM canine uh, at, you know, I'm sorry, or the GM sniper canine, you know, where do we get the uh, GM sniper canine from? It's from Gundam, you know, uh, Gundam build fighters. That's what it is. You know, and it it's funny because that was like the first mobile suit that we really envisioned um, the whole way around the boost system with. Like, like that mobile suit was it. Like that mobile suit really brought out the concept of the boost system. So the way it happened basically was this. You know, I was talking to Azusa. I was telling Ryan, like, hey, you know what? Um, you know, this is this is how the Earth Federation ought to be. You know, this is the way they should have done it. And then I sent him this link to watch the episode. I think it's episode 17 of Gundam Build Fighters Try, where they had the, you know, uh, GM sniper unit. You know, um, and, and I told him, like, this is how the mod, like the Earth Federation, ought to work from a mod perspective. Like, when you look at it, this is the way they ought to actually work. You know, so, he and I said, just look at the battle. Look at the battle. That's all you got to do. So he goes to watch it, he sees it, and he loves it. And then he says, okay, cool. And then he makes it, and, and then we effectively put it in the game. I didn't expect us to put it in the game, because I wasn't saying that we should have put it in the game. But this was one of those things where he called it, and he said, you know what, we're going to stick stick this in the game. Now, partly, I I wasn't about putting it in the game in the beginning, because it was not a authentic UC piece. You know, like, in other words, it didn't... Um, Obviously come from any Gundam, uh, storyline. You know, it, it didn't that we could attach ourselves to and say, Hey, you know, guess what? From the UC universe, you get this. And, um, the unit itself was just so profound in the way that it performed that, you know, not only was it, you know, spot on in its given, you know, abilities in the way it executed itself in the episode, but it was to, you know, effectively pay homage to it and say, look, when it's done right, this is what it can be, you know. Um, and again, I would tell you guys to watch Gunnaville Fighters Try, watch episode, I believe it's 17, and watch the GM, you know, uh, Sniper Canine. Watch that battle, and you'll see what a good battle looks like. Now, I, I do think it was kind of fluffed out at the end, because those guys should have won that battle with that GM unit. Um, but regardless of that, it was still just a well-thought-out, like, there's some originality going down in this bitch, you know, kind of a scenario. And, and, and that's what I liked about it. Now, you know, to that point of, of where, we, where we were at with that, this carried over to other units that we were going to have in the game. So the idea here was to basically be able to provide a very similar although limited experience of what the GM Canine was from a performance standpoint with other mobile suit units and this is where the boost system really took off because the Canine showed us exactly what the boost system idealistically could be like okay so like when you look at the GM Canine in the way that we have it right now you have basically you know a um mortar beam artillery sniper Um, that starts off, then it splits into, you know, beam artillery and sniper unit. Okay. Then after that, it splits into, you know, a, a kind of, I want to say, um, standard GM type unit after it loses, you know, that, 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 uh, you know, those given abilities. Um, and then after that, it uses, uh, a close combat melee ability with the, um, with the exam. Like that's how the unit actually works. Now, we don't have the thing fully functional in its entirety. And the reason for it is we were doing it as a proof in concept. Like in other words, we weren't going to layer down layer after, layer after 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 layer of the actual, uh, mobile suit from a gameplay perspective, we weren't going to do that, um, I wasn't interested in doing that, uh, Ryan wasn't interested in doing that, not as a proven concept, okay, so, for example, uh, we do have to still stick another beam in there, um, we may end up doing, I'm going to say, the dual pistols, right now we have just a mecha machine gun, um, at a certain stage, but the point is, it works, like, you look at it, and you go, oh, this shit really actually works, so, you know, carrying on the boost system, There were two angles to it. The first thing was from a technological premise, which is, do you go patent labor or do you go night saber? You know, like, like how far do you go with this? The second thing was the authenticity of units that were truly actually boostable at the stages that you needed them to be boostable at. So it's not a thing of just saying, Hey, I want to use this mobile suit over here for the earth federation. Like I don't, I don't get to get to tell Ryan that, you know. What I got to do is sit down and say, okay, from the standpoint of our boost system, these are the mobile suits that make the most amount of sense, and these are the mobile suits that are really going to work. So, what we have currently right now in our boost assortment is it goes like this: um, we have the GM Kaya, we have the GM Customs, and we also have the um, GM Sniper Two. So like you get a selection of those three. Now you also end up getting as a, you know, reinforcement drop. Okay. For the sniper two, a GM canine. Okay. You get that. And then what you get for the, um, the custom is you get the GM, you know, quell, uh, hazel revised. So you get that. And then for the Kaya, you get the power GM. Okay? Not the Kergerin. We didn't do that. So if anyone's like, wait a minute here, Doug, what about Gundam Build Fighters try and the you know power GM Kergarin? No, 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 we didn't do that. And I, that thing was lame. It was completely lame. It was gay. I couldn't do it. Uh Ryan couldn't do it either. He, we both looked at it and we were like, no, no, no. Because it didn't make any sense. It totally defeated like the whole the whole purpose of the unit made no sense it was like here you've got this high generator output for maneuverability reasons right right that's like how it's supposed to work so that part makes sense because that's how the power gm is supposed to be but then the girl sits up here and puts like you know uh shield extensions on it that weigh the unit down and then she gives it like these you know 90 middle 90 millimeter you know uh gatling guns and its wrist from gundam alex which again weigh the unit down more And then, and then on top of that, she's got like, you know, beam artillery or some bullshit in the back of the thing, you know, like in dual form or quad form or whatever form. And I'm like, what the hell is it? This thing can't do anything now. It's been weighed down by all this crap, you know? I mean, granted, if you're going after firepower, it's got that, but in the way it worked in this show, it was a piece of shit. So we were like, we're going to nix this idea here. This is a bad idea. We got to nix it now. Got to nix it. And that's effectively yeah what we what we realistically did is that we just nixed the bad idea of a G.N. curin. Um, the hazel or the qual hazel revise um, or reverse is it reverse or revise? Ah anyways uh the uh, the quell I'm sorry the quell, not qual quell the quell hazel um we'll say reversed we'll go with reverse. Uh unit that one is something that we we've been working on, um, because the the biggest challenge that we have with that is the GM Custom. The GM Custom itself is an incredible mobile suit, and we we had to put the GM Custom in because it was really the only logical you know jump after a GM Kaya, where the player gets a real benefit from the unit. Um, and basically, it's like a Gundam without being a Gundam. You know, like that's what I love about the GM Custom. Uh, the problem with the GM Custom though, that we ran into was, how do you excel past it? And, there really, if you watch Gundam, the Gundam series, there really is not a mobile suit that ever truly, 100%ly, in terms of a stock mobile suit, okay? And I wanna throw that out there now, in terms of a stock mobile suit, truly excels past the, uh, the GM Custom. You don't have that. Like if you were to talk about Nemo, you know, Nemo's not going to defeat a GM custom. Like that that shit ain't going to happen. Nemo's good, but Nemo's like GM sniper two status. That, that ain't going to defeat no GM custom. Um, you know, if, if you were talking about, um, you know, like a Hizak, again, a Hizak at best might, you know, match out the GM custom in certain respects, but it's not going to, you know, it's, it's not going to, it's not going to take it out. Um, and then I could go on and on, um, and really what you got to look at is you simply just look at the fact that the GM custom was just a, look at 0083, look at how it went up against all that stuff. Okay. And what was the worst thing that happened to one of them? Yeah. It lost an arm. That was it. Lost an arm. Okay. Uh, and I mean, the one got, got destroyed, uh, by, you know, some plot, you know, uh, plot death within the story 0083. You know it's like you know burning burning saw the script he saw the script for the story, so they had to kill him and that you know that that's just how that happened. I mean, like everybody knows what that shit's about, but um you know, to the point of where I'm going with this, the GM custom was a highly resilient mobile suit, and it was very hard to actually come up with something that could actually beat it um and and we realistically couldn't do that uh not in the in the in the frame and scope of what we were going after. So what we did instead is we went with an alternate version, which was the Quell. And what we did is we added or we're attempting to add, a, add at least, I want to say the Hazel elements to it. That's what we're we're attempting to add. So you really actually get an added benefit from it. Um, so far it looks like it works. You know, so far that it does. And the AI loves it. Um and, and I'll tell you this the AI actually loves the Power GM the Quell and the GM uh, Canine Sniper. It loves all three. Um, our sni- uh, sniper canine. It loves all three of those mobile suit. Um, you know. Uh, supply reinforcement drops. So, needless to say, the AI in the way that it works works really, really well. Um, to begin with, when you play with the Earth Federation, or what you'll be expecting when you play with the Earth Federation. Is you're not going to be bogged down by a lot of a lot of nonsense. You're actually not going to be bogged down by that. Um, you're you're going to be playing with a with a with a faction that is highly fluid in terms of mobile suit production, and that is the name of the game here. The name of the game is mobile suit production. It is not you know to build various different off base stuff. When a player plays with the Earth Federation, they get right into mobile suit production primarily. You know, you, you're like one or two steps away from actually doing it and doing it right. Um, so that's that's the first thing that I, I do want to point out in terms of what you can expect from this, this new setup. Uh, the AI, after we did a couple modifications, really jumped on board with it. It, it really did, um, and it really loves it. Now, I don't necessarily uh, think that it is idealistically the way that Ryan and I actually wanted it. Um, I know it's not, in fact but it 's a workable model until we 're able to iron out some of the kinks in it um, in a post release setup you know that we 're going to have so the first thing I want to point out is this is that you are not going to get a full fledged earth federation faction you 're going to get a proof and concept uh, The proof and concept actually should be enough anyways to do what you need to do in terms of playing other people and defeating others and stuff like that number one. Um, number two, the Earth Federation is actually going to be expanded to different other concepts that we are going to have based off of the one that we have here, you know. So keep in mind, we still have to create a federation, okay? That's key to this. We have to create a federation. We have to create an alliance, all right? And my idea of an alliance is not to sit up here and have one Gundam Universe where uh, the GMs are running everything. That's not how it works, so we plan to take daggers from you know uh Gundam Seed, we plan to take Leo's from Gundam Wing, and then we plan to do something in regards to dome. Maybe the Dotresses. I don't know about the dotresses though. But um we we are going to take at least the dome element um of Gundam X and we're gonna gel it all together. That's that's our ultimate plan here. So Um, phase one, which is done is going to be the earth federation. We've got their stuff. Now, the truth is if we wanted to do like Oz tomorrow, we probably like literally with the Leo's, we could do that. Um, and when when I'm saying like Leo's, I'm also talking tolgies as well. Okay. And we might even do like the Vate and Mercury's. I'm not sure about that part though. Um, I am, you know, we're in discussions about like how we want to do Oz as a whole, because we do understand that you're not going to have much in the way of selection um and Ryan had mentioned about doing like you know uh the uh some of the other Oz mobile suits but I I think in the end depending on how we streamline it um and depending on how like Gundam Wing is going to be within their Leo universe assisted by Gundam Seed in their Dagger universe we may end up like just, you know, saying here we're going to have Leo's, Tallgies, and of eight Mercury's. We're not even going to worry about the rest of it. Um, because you've got, gotten them seed with our daggers that will pick up some of that slack. So again, my, my overall point to what I'm saying is this, is that you have stuff on a futuristic end of things that we, we still have to work out from that end. And then the earth federation is basically, uh, going to be, I want to say completed, but for what you're going to expect now, you are going to expect, I want to say core stock GM mobile suits from the UC universe. Um, you are going to have a mission script and upon success of the mission script, you're going to end up getting a drop in. Um, also one of the big changes we changed in the game was economy based. um, the earth federation is not tiberium dependent um, as they weren't in the past so that part actually doesn't change at all but what the earth federation does is they actually destroy tiberium in our game they do not and i repeat do not actually try to harvest tiberium as a form of income they don't do this so this is actually a big change from every other faction that's ever been in cnc which is all about harvesting Tiberium. The Earth Federation does not harvest Tiberium at all; they don't do that. That's not what they do. It's it's not a a um, advancement of theirs of any kind. What they do and what they do well is they do actually destroy the Tiberium, and they they have uh, they have supply crates, you know, that that, that they uh, basically cash in on. Okay, so this this economy that you are going to have with the Earth Federation is a is a non-traditional Tiberium uh economy. And this is something that um was one of the bigger changes that we we had decided to do. Um and the reasoning for it was this. There honestly was no reason whatsoever to give them a standard Tiberium economy. There just isn't, you know. Um and I know that a lot of people they have a hard time, you know, wrestling with the fact that when you're talking about the um the, um, Earth Federation in, uh, you know, in our, in our game that you're talking about a faction that is going to be effectively for all practical purposes, Tiberium less. It's like, you know, if that's going to be the case, how are you going to guarantee that A, you don't try to overstate their economy and B, you know, what happens to expansion and stuff like that? because if you know anything about the engine and the way that the AI is programmed and stuff like that, uh, you do have to use Tiberium um, in order to basically expand yourself from a gameplay perspective. And, and I do want to touch, uh, touch in on that, which is we still do use Tiberium in the fact that we destroy it. Okay. So that takes care of that from an expansion perspective, but to, to stay true to our story and to stay true to the Earth Federation and how it exists, the main point of what we're talking about here is you're not going to be using the Earth Federation as a GDI supplement any longer. Like, you're not going to do that. Um, and, and that goes back to something that I had mentioned early, early on in terms of this uh, episode. You know, if you wonder, why did he go through s- such a lengthy explanation by trying to contrast GDI with Nod and then turn around and trying to contrast GDI with the earth federation. And then in contrasting GDI with the earth federation, bringing up more similarities than differences. It's because now you actually, with the new installment are going to see the differences. The economies are not going to be the same. They're not even going to be remotely the same. Um, and we're still talking about our standard GDI faction here. Uh, so we haven't even touched them yet, but, um, they're they're not even gonna be remotely the same, uh, number one. Um, from an economy standpoint, number two, from a base building standpoint, um the Earth Federation primarily deals with capital ships. They don't deal with, you know, buku structures and things like that. There's no need to do that. Doesn't make any sense. And it, it, it just won't happen. Um the Earth Federation primarily deals with I wanna say, uh you know refineries, power plants. Um um they deal with uh what's its face um explorers and right now they deal with a big tray and they deal with a Pegasus class ship like that's that's about it i mean like that's your structures right there or federation now you might be looking at that and saying what dude you just like listed off like four to five things that they do they use in regards to structures what about tech buildings, Doug? What about, you know, this, that, and the other? Um, oh, and they use a dome, uh, you know, sat, uh, sat system. Um, but oh yeah, this, this, that, and the other, let me explain how that works. Okay. Uh, this force is, is a highly fluid force. It is not meant to be a GDI counterpart, in mobile suit clothing. It, it, that's not what it is. Okay? So, like, I, I can't stress enough to you, those who think you know the Earth Federation, those who've been playing with the Earth Federation, those who believe that the Earth Federation in this next installment is going to be their ticket to success, um, I, I'm going to tell you this. It's a yes and no. It's a yes and no. If you can basically get yourself wrapped around the gameplay style of the Earth Federation, in terms of understanding that as a faction, you know, you aren't going to be laying down tech structures. As a faction, you are basically working off of mobile suit script missions. As a faction, you are going to be working with a force that's going to be deployable, but it's going to be deployable under certain conditions. Okay, if you can get your head wrapped around all those things, then you've got it made. Like, like you really do. Like, the Earth Federation is yours to win with. If you can't do that, then you're going to be stepping back to, you know, um Nod or GDI or Scrin. I mean, like that, that's what you're going to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. It just means that the Earth Federation is not the faction for you. The Earth Federation is not going to be a faction that is going to from a standpoint of gameplay, be something that everybody's going to want to use. There are going to be certain players who are going to look at the Earth Federation and say they're lacking and they're lacking heavily in terms of substance. There are going to be other people that look at it and say, I get it. I get exactly how they're supposed to work. And here's one of the key things you have to understand about the Earth Federation in contrast to GDI. Remember how I sat up here earlier in this episode and I talked about how GDI has, you know, like incredible infrastructure, and how they sit up here and they actively build and construct things so that they can add more and more and more and expand, expand, expand. Because it strengthens their overall, their infrastructure. Especially when you get to epic gameplay and you need, like, spaceports and stuff like that because you need to bring down a Kodiak fleet. You know, like, you know what I'm talking about here. If you're a GDI player, you definitely know what I'm talking about. The Earth Federation basically starts from that assumption. That you have within the class of units, uh, I'm sorry, within, within the, um, within the class of, I want to say, uh, structural setup that you're going to have, it is assumed that they can already produce these things. You know, that, that's what it is. So you don't need to build tech lab A, B and C in order to unlock these capabilities. You don't need to, you know, do this, that, and the other in order to, you know, basically get yourself up and going. When you choose the Earth Federation, you get right into mobile suit production. And effectively, what you are, you know, starting off from is a GDI spaceport kind of scenario. If if I were to compare it to GDI, it's almost like you're taking GDI's like in-game play, And you're starting off with their end game play and then your mid game play would be like their epic game play. And then, you know, it just, it's just an advancement beyond that. I think that's the best way that I can describe the feeling that you're going to have with it. So for those people who are used to playing RTS and you're used to laying down like, you know, established, you know, infrastructure to drive your economy, to drive your tech, to drive your whatever, whatever it is that you're doing you have to understand with the earth federation, you're not going to have any of that. You're you're simply not, it's, it's not going to happen. Like you're, you're not going to basically set them up where as a player, you're going to say, Hey, you know what? You know, um, I'm going to go through the normal build cycles and then here, I'm going to be at the end. Uh, you're not going to have that now. You got to keep in mind that that's a pro and it's a con, okay? I mean, it's a pro and con. And what that means is, is that you have a much lighter footprint than your opposing factions do. And that lighter footprint, in terms of if you're playing and you get yourself into like a base trade scenario, can honestly be the, um, it can be the death of you. You know, So, like, for example, let's say that you get into a scenario where you're going to be doing a base trade with GDI. Like, in other words, they're going to destroy your base, you're going to destroy their base, who's going to destroy it the fastest? If you get into a base trade scenario with GDI, GDI is going to win, like, just flat out. There's no way on Earth the Earth Federation, under the current design system we have, would even come close to winning against GDI in a base trade. You can't do that. I mean, like, what you really, really have to do is you really have to think through exactly what you're doing from a gameplay perspective so you don't get yourself caught in those kind of scenarios. And this is one of the key things about them that will now make them different. I would say that if you were talking about a base trade scenario um, with anybody, GDI is basically the faction that wins it out. Once when you pop up the firewall, once when you lay down defenses... You know, it just GDI gets a bit more robust. It, it settles in there. It can't be budged and it takes a lot to go in there and tear it down. Now, the Earth Federation, uh, due to the fact that the mobile suits have a boost system and stuff like that, can definitely do those kind of things. Like they can dig GDI out of their hole, you know, that, that, that they're, you know, uh, basically bunkering themselves down in the Earth Federation can dig them out, but you've got to have the right mobile suits to do it and you've got to have the proper boost scenarios in order to make it happen. Like, you can't just say, here, let me just flood the area with these mobile suits. And what happens is you don't do, A, um, proper, you know, uh, mission scripts, so you don't actually bonus off of the work that you're doing. And more importantly, B, you end up using mobile suits that, under the scenario, end up with real shitty boost factors, and that just... Yeah, it kills it. it. It totally kills it, and there's really nothing that you can do about it. You know, it's like you just lost your entire force, and now you've got to basically conjure up another mobile suit force, um, and take another stab at it. And and again, this is what makes the Earth Federation now so interesting because Ryan and I haven't actually talked about the concept of of having like a a bonus, you know, um, you know, uh, system based on piloting. Uh, performance, or a morale performance, or something like that, we haven't even talked about those things yet, you know, like, should we actually give the Earth Federation player, um, you know, the concept of a, um, you know, squad leader, and in addition to being a squad leader, should we actually give the Earth Federation player the ability to give a bonus, you know, um, to a boost factor, you know, so that you're, Boosting abilities get better and better with your mobile suits. As a squad leader, you you do X, Y, and Z. Uh, we, me, and him haven't talked about any of this. We haven't done this, you know. So, you know, again, this is this is what makes the Earth Federation. Of course, the Earth Federation. It's like we we have a lot of things that we can sit up here and do. Um, and in this next episode, that um, I send you after this one, because obviously, I think we're going to be talking about the Earth Federation at least one or two more times. Um, before I get into nod, because I am going to get into nod, like I said, I was going to get into nod. Um, really, what what we're what Ryan and I have to discuss is how are we going to do like basically a fine polishing of this faction before we actually release it to you, because my the next thing I've got to do after this is I've got to send an audio out to him, and I got to be like, hey Azusa, you know we've done these things right, but we're rough around these edges, and we need to fix these edges in order to make the whole thing work in the way that the thing ought to work, you know. So, you know, uh, again, I, I want to be clear about where I'm coming from with this, which is you're going to be dealing with a brand new faction. You are. You cannot look at this faction and compare it to the old Earth Federation. There are people who play with the old Earth Federation that are definitely not going to like this faction. They will look at this and say, no, I don't like the faction. I don't want the faction. I want the old one back. I think you guys made a huge mistake. Um, you know, give me back my gun tanks, or you know, give me back my my new Gundam, or give me back my, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you use to win. And to those people, what I'm going to say is this: it's not that we didn't want to do it; it's that there was no clean way to really do it and keep it as a federation. Like, in other words, you just get to the point of, you know, you're adding in stuff to add in stuff. What which then really you know, deals heavily in a bureaucracy of what the Earth Federation is, and you don't want to do that. Because, like, in the end, that was part of the problem in the first time around that we ran into, you know, which was the bureaucracy of, like, trying to have mobile suits go through a timeline. And time was the actual bureaucracy, but there was no other way to really make it work on the mobile suits' end. Like, you didn't want them to basically pay into tech upgrades that made absolutely no sense beyond a certain point, if they were only going to unlock a mobile suit. Like, that, that's kind of stupid. It's like, okay, well, if I'm going to sit up here and pay into, you know, unlocking, you know, a mobile suit of this, that, or the other kind, then what's the point of having these other mobile suits here to begin with? You know, it, it's not like, and, and if you go, and when you look at this new installment, Go look at GDI, go look at Screen. go look at all the rest of them. I mean, if you think about it, we don't do pointless upgrades. We don't. Like, if, if you look at, for example, Nod. The new Nod that's coming out that you guys are going to be able to play with. When you start looking at those nods up, Nod upgrades, those Nod upgrades are like valid Nod upgrades. Like, for example, Tiberium, the Tiberium Beam upgrade. that That is a, a valid upgrade. That's not some like, oh, you... Got an upgrade, which now gives you know, or basically allows you to create this unit, um, so you don't have a need for the other units. No, that's not how it works. You know, it's like it's 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 an upgrade that is basically an assist. It's an enhancer. You know, it's a supplement to w- what you're looking at. Or when you look at Nod and you look at the cyber cybernetic upgrade. Okay, so remember what I told you guys about because we did this in an episode where, you know, basically there are different kind of cyborgs that you have in a sci-fi universe, um, and we should hit up on those, and, and we actually did that. So the way the cyborg plant works now is that when the player uses the cybernetic plant, they can no longer build a standard cyborg. But the reason why they can't build a standard cyborg any longer is because their confessor squads and their blackhand squads now produce cyborgs from a standpoint of randomization, and are embedded in the squad. You know, so for example, the way the black hand cyborg works is it is a cyborg that once when you kill off the squad, it slowly tries to move to the objective. Because once when it gets to the objective, it self detonates. And trust me, when it does it, it's nasty. I I was playing a battle yesterday, right? And uh, I sent out some black hand. And there was this GDI army that came, and they and they shot up my black hand, and then the cyborg came out, and it, you know, came up right to the mammoth tank, and GDI had, like, a whole force of mammoth tanks along with a whole bunch of other shit, right? And then there was just this giant, like, thud, and it might as well have been a nuclear explosion. I mean, like, that's how bad it was. And you literally just saw the front end of GDI's, you know, invasion force just basically just gets swallowed up by the ground. I mean, like, it was some bad shit. But then again, you know, that's what happens when you start fighting cyborgs. On the flip side of that, you talk about the Confessor Cyborg, which we're still working on. Um, you know, we've given it, I believe, a plasma grenade, we've, which which is pretty impressive. We've also given it, you know, a um, Gatling laser, which is also impressive. Uh, but what we're also going to do, I believe, is we're going to be giving it a, a force field or a shield. You know, so you can actually tell this damn thing's a cyborg, you know, and it's not some just, you know, uh, whatever, whatever, from a gameplay perspective. So, you know, from my standpoint of, of, of what I'm trying to go after here with you guys, what I'm trying to get you to understand here is that for all practical purposes, okay, for all practical purposes, what you've got to really recognize here is that The upgrades that we do have got to be meaningful, you know, and what happened with the Earth Federation is that they just weren't meaningful in the overall scheme of things or there was no way to implant them meaningful, meaningfully. So that is effectively why you end up losing out on certain, you know, aspects of mobile suit development that you would have had in our previous installment of the Earth Federation. And like, realistically, they're just not needed. They're, they're not. It wasn't relevant. It was redundant. And I will go through the next episode and basically kick that marker off because now that we have a workable AI, now that we have an AI that could easily defeat any human being with the Earth Federation, um, provided, you know, that human being is only a halfway decent player. Um, even an advanced player, I'd still say the AI could probably take you down. Um, My my point to where I'm going with this is (coughs) you have to remember that it's all about slimming down a faction, getting to their core gameplay, and then from there fine-tuning those aspects of it, you know? So this is something that we had to work really hard on with Nod, and this is obviously something we definitely had to work hard on with the the, uh, Earth Federation. All right, so there we go. All right, um, next episode we will be talking about the Earth Federation. What a surprise! And we are going to be talking about um, why we chose the mobile suit we chose, and from a show standpoint uh, of of Gundam, we're going to do this. I think we need to. We got to move away from you know the the coding, the programming, and all the backstore stuff, and, and uh and we got to get up to the to the nook and cranny of of what you guys are going to see for the earth federation and understand why you have what you have versus why you don't have what you have. Cause I think that that's equally as important. Um, this is not something that me and Ryan really talked about, uh, beyond the point when we developed it, but there will be for some people, I think a level of betrayal, like they'll look at it and go, well, I don't understand because you actually took more away from me than you gave to me. And then you sat up here and said that, Hey, this is, you know, of course, a better way of, you know, playing a game, although I'm not feeling it. So we're going to get into that. Um, and, and that is something that I'm going to to let you guys uh, in on here from, uh, you know, from a, from a uh, development standpoint in the next uh, episode. I do have to upload the goodies. I know I didn't. I will do that. Do not worry. Um, I basically gave you guys the episode that I was supposed to do, and now I'm going to upload this episode, uh, but I'll put the goodies before it, okay? Um, so, you know, basically the way it should work is that you'll get like goodies one and goodies two, like I said up here and said in the previous episode, and then you're going to see this on top of those. Um, the reason why I didn't upload the goodies yet is because there was really no need to, to tell you the truth. I mean, like, the other episode came out so late that I just was like, ah, you know what, I got to sit up here and put this episode out, and then I'll take care of that other stuff later. Um, the other thing is going to be this, is you are actually now going to see, okay, watch this, you're going to see, um, in the information section of the episode, how you can get into the live episode. We are going to be having a live episode, um, after I post this episode, I will then sit up here and state the live episode of when that's going to happen, and I will, I will be giving you instructions on um, exactly how you get into a live episode. Now I've done a couple of live episodes with Robotech fan and they've worked out like really, really nicely. Um, so free conference call works really nicely. I now have it where you can get it for Android, uh, Kindle and iOS. Um, you know, so if you're an Apple user, you can use it too. If you're an Android user, even better. If you're a Kindle user, ah, I've, you know, um, uh, my Robotech fan episodes, I've been doing that, you know? So I know that changing over to new audio conferencing software, um, is a pain in the ass. A lot of people don't want to do that. A lot of people just want to log into TalkShoe and call the day. I'm telling you, dude, I'm not going back to TalkShoe. I'm not. I like, like anybody who is thinking I'm going to hold out on Doug until he goes back to TalkShoe, the shit ain't going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Um, this is way more fluid. It makes way more sense. And in addition to that, it's just a better performing system. It is just, that's just the end of it. I'm not going to do talk shoe anymore. Um, I know that there are people out there who are wanting me to do talk shoe. I know there are people who have walked away from me from a live audio perspective because I won't do talk shoe. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I don't, I don't care. Um, I will rebuild my branding, um, through free conference call as of now. And that, that's part of podcasting folks. Like, like you gotta understand, like this is not, like understand something. I'm not some like YouTuber that is dependent on a channel for a form of income. Okay. This is not, not my, you know, my, my paying gig. All right. So I do this as a courtesy to you so you guys can understand why you're going through the journey that you're going through along with us from a, you know, development standpoint of the Xenoforce Reborn universe, and and I, I just want to make that clear, um, I, like, one of the things that really blows my mind, you know, when I saw this, I see this basically on the Robotech fan inside of things, is that all these people want me to come back, right? but they want me to come back and do things in the way that they want me to do things versus how I want to do things. And it's like, no, the whole reason why you guys like me is because of how I do stuff, you know? Um, But, you know, be that as it may, it's, it's totally fair. You know, it's, it's totally fair. So like I said, um, stay tuned live episodes going to be coming this week um, or this weekend, you know, probably around Friday or so. I don't know. Uh, we'll be doing a live episode, um, and we'll see what happens with that. Um, definitely it will be better than the last one. Can't be any worse than that. I mean, like that thing just totally got effed up. Uh, and, and I got the right links down in, you know, it's, it's straight to the point. It's, it's short and sweet. And that's what you guys are going to want to have in, you know, in the final analysis anyways. Okay. So, so we, uh, have that. Um, that being said, you guys take care and I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye bye.